Hey everyone, this is Dennis, one of the co-hosts of Fate's Wide Wheel. Before we jump into today's episode, we just wanted to make the note, um, this episode is being released two days after the mass shooting in Las Vegas. Uh, We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, and there's nothing in the episode that really talks about the kind of violence that that we saw two days ago. We do uh, talk about violence in general in in TV and movies, um, but... Even though we're just a silly little uh, podcast about an old cult sci-fi TV show with a small listenership, uh, simply we just felt it inappropriate to to release today's episode without making uh, some kind of uh, comment or acknowledging uh, what happened a couple of days ago. Um, You know, it's it's been said. You know, thoughts and prayers in times like these only go so far, uh, but for what it's worth, we just wanted to um, acknowledge the event uh, and just say that our uh, our thoughts are with uh, the families and the victims and everyone affected by this tragedy. Uh, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show today. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. I am Dennis. I am Sam. And this week we're covering The Right Hand of God. The leap date is October 24th, 1974. The original air date was Friday, April the 7th, 1989. It was written by John Hill, directed by Gilbert Shilton. And the TV Guide summation of this episode is, Somebody up there apparently doesn't like Sam as he leaps into a glass-jawed boxer whose contract is owned by two nuns hoping to finance it hoping to finance a chapel for the poor. And as we covered in last week's episode, when Sam leaps in, he is punched to the the floor of the boxing ring by a boxer. And as the referee starts to count him out, his coach is encouraging a confused Sam to try to get up from the mat. Yeah. So we were talking about this off mic before. You, you, Sam, apparently have a lot of feelings about this episode. I do. I do. Uh, You know, so so I want to say a couple of things right off the bat before we dive too deep into that because I feel like it'll honestly take up the bulk of our conversation. Uh, Thing one, uh, there's no oh boy moment in this episode at all. Um, There is also no uh, quote for Al this week that I have. Uh, which will play into the bulk of of the discussion, or a portion of that discussion, Mm -hmm. I believe. Um, One of the issues that I have with this episode on the whole, and this is usually the type of stuff I think we talk about at the end of the episode, but I'm going to talk about it right now, is compared to the last episode where we got um, a very good overall story and plot that held together well, Mm -hmm. and I felt like had a lot of intersecting moments, both between what was happening in the 1990s with Al and what was happening in the 1972 scenario with Sam and Donna. And, you know, everything held together really well. This plot feels so overloaded. There is so much going on. There are so many secondary characters. There are so many subplots. And I don't mean that to sound like, oh, there's 20, 50, 100 or whatever. No, there's not. But in a 47-minute 
block of television where we're telling a story about a man who leaps in, has to set something right, and then leaps out. There's way too much going on for me to care about any one of them in particular. Especially when, you know, you have a couple of characters that are clearly supposed to mean a lot, and I feel like don't get the time uh, on screen to mean anything to me other than what I'm told they're supposed to mean to me. Mm. Um, you know, looking at the screenwriter's career, he wrote Little Nikita, which uh, is a film that I'm a fan of with mm. River Phoenix and Sidney Poitier. It's a very, very good movie. Uh, other than that, not a lot doing that I noticed. Um, take that for what you will. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive into the episode okay. dissected. I will, like I will give the, will give the counterpoint to, to dive in. And this was a thought that came actually when I was rewatching how the test was won, but I'll throw it here into this episode because I think it applies, is that when I was younger watching these episodes, I did not like a lot of the first season either just because it didn't seem a lot of high stakes compared to stories that right. came up yes. in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. But to not give too many spoilers away about future episodes is that starting with the second season, we get a lot more episodes where Sam is there to prevent someone from getting killed or for someone meeting uh, some kind of, uh, if not violent, and some kind of of violent or very unfortunate situation. As I get older, the last few years, uh, and especially in the last few months... Um, since finding out that me and my wife were having a child and having a child, uh, I've become very averse to TV shows that have a violent thread to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like right now, Betsy and I are trying to get into Game of Thrones Hmm. and I'm finding it very hard to get into because, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it came for me like, uh, I want to say like three or four years ago, like I realized like I was really into Sons of Anarchy for a while Mm -hmm. and like towards the end, I just had to stop watching it because I don't, I don't know if you ever watched that shit. It's just like every episode, uh, not only did they, they kill someone off, but they had to show it in the most graphic way possible. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad got that way towards the end and so yeah. I, I, and so I've gotten to a point with shows yeah. where like uh, episode plots like these where there are stakes but they're not as deep no one necessarily meets uh, a violent end I say in an episode that revolves around boxing right. um, but uh, it's an episode of TV that I can just kind of sit back and enjoy and it's not violent and because of that I I appreciate episodes like these more now than I did when I was younger. You know, to, to, to add to that real quick, I think that Right Hand of God, the next episode we'll talk about how the test was won, and the episode after that, Double Identity. All three of those episodes, I think, qualify w- with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The other two, in spite of things that I don't, that I'm not on board with, work much better as an hour-long episode of television than this one does, though. Okay. I I feel like the right hand of God could have been a 90 minute teleplay as opposed to a 47 minute with all of the stuff that's there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want me to just talk explicitly about what I'm talking about or if we want to go scene by scene. Yeah, 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 pick it up. So in case case if you're catching up and you've never seen this episode or it's been a while since you've seen the episode. Um, So Sam leaps in and he, he gets knocked to the mat. Um... He's almost counted out, but then he's able to get back up. 
And he obviously he doesn't know what he's doing. I think he may throw a couple of weak punches. Uh, or, or no, like actually the, the other boxer like kind of corners him is punching it and Sam just makes like a flailing move. Yeah, and barely box, hits him. And the boxer's out. Yeah. He is done. And Sam's just kind of standing there. Well, he like, apologizes yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a great <laughs> moment like, hey man, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, There's a great moment of like, what the hell just happened? And then we make our way in into the locker room. Um, and to make a long story short before we introduce a, a couple of the other characters that come in, it becomes very clear between his his coach and his ring man that um, Sam makes a comment that, man, I barely touched that guy and he went down. What happened? And it's very clear by the way they react. Like, he's a boxer on the take. Yeah. The other guy. And the other guy took a dive. Yeah. And Gomez, who is the, the, the corner man, mm-hmm. uh, played by Alex Cologne, we get, um, yeah, we get a lot from him without dialogue which is nice mm-hmm. um and i like him a lot in this episode actually and 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 to be frank it, it is one of the th- reasons why i have my comment about too much going on because we don't get a lot of him unfortunately mm-hmm. uh or as much as i would like uh i, I think uh because he, he he is a good character and stuff that happens later reinforces that and i think that the performance uh, holds together well uh and, and the interactions he has with sam are great Something else that I want to mention that's interesting to me is that Sam uh, gets busted open uh, in his eyebrow. He's got a cut. Uh, and Sam has the cut. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of reinforces the fact that uh, that when Sam leaps, you know, it's, it's his physical presence that is there. Mm-hmm. You know, he maintains his aura of the other person or whatever, but physically it's Sam Beckett. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sam's cut. You know, Sam mm-hmm. is bleeding. Mm-hmm. It's not. In this first shot, we do get the first mirror shot of the episode. We get a pretty sustained cut. Yeah, a, a pretty sustained shot. That's of, right. We of, do of this guy of Cody. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, something that gets mentioned a little bit later on, but is also kind of mentioned here. That's funny to me is that they, they he's a heavyweight. He's supposed to be a heavyweight boxer. Mm-hmm. This guy is not a heavyweight boxer. 185 pounds. It's not a heavyweight boxer. Um, I don't because I was saying like this as we as we went on. Like I know. Like I wrestled in high school. Yeah, and uh, in in wrestling, at least at the at the high school level, and I think it's just pretty much the same for the collegiate level. Anything above one eighty nine is heavyweight. Okay, um, and so that's something that that struck me. Like looking at all of the the boxers in this episode, including uh, Kid Cody at the no, he's Kid Cody, uh, Tiger Joe, at the yes. end of the episode, his opponent. Even he looks pretty small, and, it, and it's still it's a it's a heavyweight match yeah because it's because it's generally it's it's over 200 pounds uh is, is what a lot of the boxing federations and organizations mm-hmm. all the myriad ones that are out there these days say but uh, you know that's that's neither here nor there because it's it's tv it's fiction it's a picture of a picture so whatever mm-hmm. I say, <laughs> I, I, i'll argue at this point I, th- I don't think at this point in the series they've made it clear that whether it's sam's body that's sleeping or whether sam's Mind, mind, yeah, that is that is leaping. It is interesting to note in one interview that Don Belisario gave, where they talk about injuries and everything. You know, he made he had made the argument that, you know, the way I see it, like if Sam leaps into someone with a broken leg, Sam doesn't have a broken leg. Yeah. If Sam gets his leg broken in a leap, right? Sam has a broken leg. Yes. And so it's like so yeah he he got hit in this first in this first few moments so yes yeah. he has the cut yeah. Yeah, which I, I just, it was just something that I noticed, uh, you know, in the context of kind of, as we're starting the podcast, clearly doing a lot of reading about Quantum Leap and talking mm-hmm. about Quantum Leap and having these discussions and going back and remembering some of the, the big, you know, 
discussions that took place, you know, in the old days about what is this and, you know, and the debates and that being one of them. And to me, this is kind of an early sign of what you were just talking about with Belisario going in that direction of that he's leaping physically, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not just his mind, that it's his body as well. Mm-hmm. So we have the fact that, like I said, we just learned that Kid Cody, um, he won because the fight was thrown. Yeah. And this was, we also learned that this was his last fight with Gomez. And then we have the introduction of two characters, Sister, it's Sister Angela. And Sister Sarah. And Sister Sarah, yes. Um, now me, just because from TV shows I watched growing up, I don't know if you recognize Sister Sarah, uh, but it's the, the same actress who played uh, Mrs. Hathaway on the Beverly Hillbillies. From that old TV series. Oh uh, my gosh, I did not recognize those. Yes, at all. Yeah. Uh, Nancy Culp is her Nancy name. This is one of her last performances. Like, yeah, her, her next last role before she passed away from cancer a couple mm-hmm. years later. And that's one of those. Uh, that's the only other thing I've ever seen that that actor in. Yeah, is the Beverly Hillbillies, and so and, and that's what I always recognize her as. Well, and sister uh, sister Angela is played by Michelle Joyner. Um, and I don't know honestly much else about her the, career. The, the, the only other thing I've seen her in, uh, she is in the opening moments of the Sylvester Stallone movie, Cliffhanger. <laughs> Spoiler alert: She does not live. Well, it uh, basically she is a she is a plot device. Uh, she's someone who dies mountain climbing, I believe, and Sylvester Stallone almost saves her, but she ends up dying. And basically, she is the plot device at the beginning of the movie that informs why Sylvester Stallone is the way he is uh, for the rest of that. Okay. Well, she, you know, apparently she also did um, uh, an episode of Millennium and the X-Files as well. So, you know, some other other genre television Uh, work out there. Exactly. So we get, uh, in this first scene, we, we are introduced to this idea that in some way that is... Honestly, it's never really clearly explained throughout the episode, which maybe kind of speaks to what the, your complaints you about earlier, is somehow that uh, Sister Angela and Sister Sarah's convent has inherited Kid Cody's contract yeah, from somebody. It gets sort of summed up in a way that I guess Cody's old manager mm-hmm. left all of his stuff to the... the Church. That's it. Okay. And so as a part of it, they inherit his contract, so they basically own Kid Cody. It doesn't really matter. No. Plot, plot yeah. device has made Kid Cody the property of of the nuns. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um and then it, it, it's interesting because to me we've we've had uh, we talked about it briefly last episode as well but we've had a lot of discussions as to you know what it is that's leaping sam around mm-hmm. uh it's a, it's a discussion that will continue but to have a you know an actual sort of literal representation of god in this episode mm-hmm. by way of of the nuns um it creates for some interesting moments of dialogue mm-hmm. absolutely um, before we go i want to jump back to something that you said in the last episode where you thought maybe it was kind of telling that Sam messed with history in a personal way and that he leaps into someone getting punched yeah. at the beginning. I don't know if you paid attention to the dialogue at the beginning of this episode mm-hmm. because early on in the series, um, Sam kind of narrates the oh, events yeah. of the last right. episode into the next episode. And which, if you've watched this episode only in reruns, you don't get that. They edit that out. Yeah. In reruns now. But there's a moment where Sam, in summing up the events of the last episode, he flat out says something to the effect of... The big guy upstairs would understand. Maybe the big guy upstairs understand. 
pop, then again, maybe, maybe he not. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's interesting. I don't know if we'll do it on this episode, but in, in one of these early episodes, we should insert what the opening narration sounds, sounds like, like in yeah. these early episodes. Yes. Because, like we've said before, if you've only caught the show in reruns, you did they, not get. This. They always take the opening narration that was established in the first run, like season, like later in season, season two, two yeah. and they use that for the entire series. Yeah. So if you're, I believe if you're watching on Hulu, uh, that's what you're getting, the later mm-hmm. stuff. If you're watching the Blu-rays um, that recently came out this past mm-hmm. year, that is the, the original as aired episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll get the, 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 you know, the original opening saga cell. Yeah. Um, so let's just say that for the purposes of this episode right now, we're going to insert in like, this is what the opening narration yeah. sounded like. Uh, as it originally aired and what you see now if you you bought the DVDs or the Blu-rays. It all started when a time travel experiment I was conducting went a little caca. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physics to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong, a sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask. So yeah, as you can tell, uh, it's very... It's Sam, you know? Mm It's Sam talking kind of very matter-of-factly. It's Mm -hmm. not... um, uh, it's it's fairly direct, and it leads into uh, the events of that. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, it kind of helps to sum up what's come before, and then leads you into this next. And I, you know, I wonder on a purely practical standpoint, is this their way of helping to sell the new TV series? Like we've got a new viewer coming in that didn't see the pilot in the episode before, and now we're kind of helping to set things up and capsule it real quickly. Is it? Oh, absolutely. Know, and I feel like. Um another great quantum leap podcast back to the future, they've pointed this out before, is that throughout the entire run of the series, a good three, four minutes is dedicated every episode to introducing you to the concept of the series. There's the opening narration, Mm -hmm. and then there's the theme song, which goes on for a couple minutes, which gives you a lot of telling clips of Sam looking in the mirror and seeing someone else walking through stuff, these kind of action shots. I feel... Um, it, it was always very uh, it was very clear that the producers of the series were they wanted to make sure that anybody catching an episode for the first time they wanted them to understand what the premise of the series absolutely was about yeah yeah um, and I think that it does you know it does help and it's interesting watching them you know with, with sort of fresh eyes in a way uh, having not seen a lot of these episodes in over 10 years for me personally um, and, and, and feeling that it, it, it makes it feel because it's very different from a lot of what you get in modern television. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it, it feels, uh, I don't want to say antiquated, but it, it, it feels old school. You know, there's something oh, about well, it. it does. That feels I, I remember, uh, reading a thing. I want to say it was like the late nineties, early two thousands. It was an entertainment weekly article talking about like this move away mm-hmm. from opening theme songs. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was I don't know if cynical is the right word, but it was it was a very much a thing that all networks were doing because theme songs were just an opportunity for the viewer to change the channel and go watch something else. 
Yeah. So the late 90s, early 2000s, across the board in television, there was this very deliberate move to start taking the opening theme songs out of, of shows and just mm-hmm. dive straight just in. Just jump action. right in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even today, you know, if you're watching TV on Netflix, for instance, a lot of times they, they basically have the option where it, it jumps past the credits. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're binge watching something, you'll, you'll, they'll lop the credits off and it just starts with the previously you know. on. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great device, um, obviously to expose it to new viewers at the time. I think it probably felt very right and it, and it worked. Uh, it's interesting seeing it again, having not seen it in a while. Um, and giving us the intro into this particular episode based on what the pilot and Starcross did, it, it sets it up nicely for that. The big guy upstairs understood, bam, popped in the face. Oh, maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, yeah, and now getting the nuns walking in, you know, it's there's the religion is, 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 is in the house, uh, literally. Mm-hmm. And you know, Sam has this wonderful moment with Sister Angela that I really, really like because to me, it's almost... Uh, it, it, it's almost... Sam talking to God and God talking to Sam in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is colored a little bit by the fact that uh, the one of the books that we've been using for, for reference and as a guiding light, uh, Beyond the Mirror Image, in in their, in his sort of end of the, the episode review, um, he talks about them having tiptoed around the concept of God and now this is embracing the concept wholeheartedly. They just lean in full bore. I don't know that I completely agree with that, to be honest with you, uh, which is something we'll talk about later. With them doing it or with his evaluation? With his evaluation of it. Um, and uh, But in this moment, I think it is interesting in that context because one of the things that does happen is that Sam has this line to Sister Angela about don't count on me too much. And, you know, she responds um, with, like, I am counting on you. And there's this nice little element of yeah, that's Sam talking to Angela and Angela talking to Sam. But on another level, I think there's a subtext of Sam saying, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point he's leapt, what, three times? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we we got Tom Stratton, we got Tim Fox, and and we got Dr. Gerald Bryant. Mm -hmm. And and in those three leaps, we've seen some interesting things happen, quite frankly, for Mm -hmm. him. And I think that now he's sitting there, he's like, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this. And now this nun is looking at him saying, no, I, I know you can do it and I'm counting on you to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an interesting little moment. And, and when I watched the episode this last time, it hit me in that subtextual level of Sam, you know, holding Congress with a higher power and the higher power looking down on him and saying... I'm counting on you, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need you, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. For sure. So to jump back and say, like, what Sister Angela is counting on him for. Oh, right, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the, the, the next Whoops. scene. The, no, 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 yeah. The next scene after we get out of the locker room, they're walking um, almost like this parking lot, this mm-hmm. vacant lot, and Sister Angela is explaining that, like, this is where the future chapel is going to be, that she has a dream of building, and that this is going to be funded by... Kid Cody winning his next tenth, his next fight, and you find out that Kid Cody has won his last ten bouts. Yeah, and because of the events of the last scene, you have to wonder: Did he win these because the fights were and thrown? Yeah, and now we find out not only that that his next match is is the championship match. Yes, yeah. uh, and so and so Sam immediately kind of says to Al like. 
Okay. Hey, I know what I'm here to do. Yeah. I got to win this championship yeah. match. Well, I, I love uh, because Angela says it's all going according to God's plan, and Al shows up like, well, it's not going according to Ziggy's plan. Yeah. This next loop was supposed to land you in Texas somewhere. As a farmer in, in, in the, the 50s yeah, or something. In, in yeah. the mid-50s. And uh, it's an interesting thing. To, to not give a, a heavy spoiler away from the future, is that early on the series, they were kind of playing with this fact that Ziggy was kind of tracking Sam's leaps mm-hmm. and like where he was supposed to wind up, which is something they could, they got away from in, in later episodes. Yeah. Well, and another thing that's interesting, too, at this point, because of the way that the episodes have played out, and, and as we know, they did technically air out of order. Now, mm-hmm. it was intentional. It wasn't like some television programs like Firefly, for instance, or, or that show Almost Human uh, from a couple of years back, where they, they aired them out of order almost unintentionally, and it messed with the continuity of the show. This was more of sort of an idea where it's like, no, 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 we, we are going to air this out of order. We're doing it on purpose. So the leaps in and out work. They, you know, the overall context of the episode works. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I think something that interesting that happens there is we get 1956 as Tom Stratton. We get 1968 as Tim Fox. We get 1972 as Dr. Uh, um, Gerald Bryant. And now here we are in 1974 as Kid Cody. So it's, it's again, whether intentional or not, he's leaping towards the future. He's not yet leapt back backwards in time from a leap that he's already gone on, which is kind of interesting. He's he's progressing forward. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Ziggy's like, oh, I had him placed in the 50s in Texas as a farmer, um, it's interesting for two reasons. One, yeah, Ziggy's tracking him and and, and trying to figure out where he's going to land. And two, he keeps going forward. And three, spoiler alert, we find out with the next episode that he does end up in Texas in the Mm mid-50s. Yeah, so So that's interesting. Unscheduled stop, as as Ziggy points out. So, so they have oh, this moment. Go ahead. Sorry, I got to mention this one other thing because Jess, uh, uh, who's not here for this episode, my wife Jessica, who's guested on our last two episodes. Uh, one of the things that both of us uh, immediately couldn't get over is uh, Al's jacket. That is a loud. Yeah, jacket. that jacket. Is I don't else. feel like Al hit his stride <laughs> with his outfits until this episode. And, and, really? And, uh, uh, no, not even that. Like all of his outfits, like it, it's a very loud jacket, but it's very loose fitting, and a lot of his mm. stuff is very blousey and loose fitting. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and by saying Al, I should say like the costume designers on the show. Yeah. Like I feel like season three, season four, uh, and some of season two, like his outfits are on point. Yeah. A lot of these outfits in this first season just kind of hang off of them. Yeah, I would argue. I would argue that the episode that he wears in the final scene of this episode is like yes, prototypical Al. Yes, yeah. and even the one before. But yeah, this mm. this first outfit is yeah, something else. Janky. That copper jacket. Uh, <laughs> so we find out that they are. In, uh, he's in Sacramento, California. Yep. Um, in um, in the 1974? 19, yeah, 1974, yeah. yeah. October 24th. October 20, yeah, 1974. Exactly. And so in this first scene, yeah, we find out basically, like, Sam is supposed to, to have this prize fight and, and win. And Al's story of this episode, we talked about this last episode, like, early on, they don't, they don't really know what to do with Al. So Al's subplot in this episode <sighs> yeah. is, is the neighbor with the muffler from hell who insists on doing car work in the middle of the night, keeping Al awake. And so we have this comedic moment where where Al goes to sleep uh, on a piece of cardboard, cardboard right in front of the yeah. and I which, hate it. which is great because from a production standpoint, it's really great. Like they put a piece of cardboard down so that Dean Stockwell doesn't get dirty. Yeah. Uh, so that Al the hologram doesn't shift the cardboard around. They put a brick down to weigh down the cardboard. And it's also a nice thing that Dean Stockwell is an actor. He has to avoid his hand comes very close to that brick several times during that scene and he has to avoid it yeah as a hologram it's 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 very observant yeah it's a nice little moment that oh that's 
interesting. One other thing that happens in this scene um, that I really, really enjoy because they're, you know, uh, the, they're discussing briefly about the raising funding for the church. Uh, is that Al gives us a wonderful piece of information that I think reinforces a running theme for these first three episodes, and that is the nature of Sam and Al's relationship. Exactly, yeah, because we hit the point where Angela leaves, mm-hmm. giving them a chance opportunity to talk. And, 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 Al, and Al mentions the thing about uh, how they used to stay up late at night, pouring over blueprints, figuring out how they were going to raise the money for the yeah. project. And, and they get to that point, like, who does, who does Angela remind you of? And Sam throws out Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. And I was like, no, like you and me back in the old days. Right. Trying to raise money. It was like, yeah, it's like this really nice moment where we get insight um, into their relationship. Because at this point, I don't, um, I don't think it's clearly established how deeply involved Al was with the building of the project up until this point. No. But here you clearly get the idea like, like, like Al has been in this from from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah, one of the things that is that is interesting is yeah, Al, he does feel a, a little nebulous at times. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that in this episode, we, we get a moment where, I don't mind it, I think that there's some nitpickers out there that are kind of, you know, they, they're like, oh, you know, what can Al do this time or this week? You know, what hole can he fill now or whatever? But uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. The, the thing about Al is that I think that uh, other than getting that he's, you know, an inveterate womanizer. Um, and, um, and this idea that, uh, in the pilot in particular, you know, he was drinking and, 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 you know, partying a bit, uh, struggling here and there or whatever. There's a, there's obviously a very close relationship between him and Sam. Um, but we don't get a lot outside of that. Mm-hmm. This episode really does start to fill in some of those blanks though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we learn shortly hereafter, in fact, we learn that he was uh, an orphan. Mm-hmm. He talks about growing up in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, we, we learn some other things about him in this episode. That being said, he doesn't have a lot to do. And him laying down and taking a nap because he's tired because of this stupid subplot where his neighbor's got the carburetor. First of all, it's like, in my mind, he lives in the middle of nowhere, or he lives at the project because he's in the you know he's in the middle of a desert. Mm-hmm. Who's his you, neighbor? You kind of get the sense that Al should always be on call. Yeah, like right at the project. So it's, it's so there's parts of it that to me I'm just I, I I'm not on board with. I, I don't like the fact that again he doesn't get left with a lot to do. He does get one of my favorite moment Al moments so far in the series, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, but for the most part, I'm not on board with tired, sleepy Al over... It's, the, yeah, yeah, it's definitely weird. It's a plot. So we move on from this scene, and Al, <laughs> or Sam, I should say, he gets back to his uh, home, which I guess at this point, like, he's become very adept at, like, looking at his wallet and figuring out his address or, or, or some kind Great. of key thing or something. But as he's going up to his apartment, uh, a car pulls up, and uh, clearly, who is supposed to be some sort of of a form of a henchman gets out and like, hey, Mr. Edwards wants to talk to you. Come down here. Yes. And so we get pulled to the scene. Um, so Mr. Edwards, we talked about this off mic before we recorded, is Guy Stockwell, uh, Dean Stockwell's older brother. Yeah. By three years. Uh, well, I was looking up information on him. Back in the day, he was a very dapper looking man, very much like Dean Stockwell. And somewhere along the way, that clearly changed. Like, if I, I would not know just from his, just from his looks that him and like in that picture you just pulled up on IMDb right there, 
I could buy him and Dean Stockwell as brothers, but uh, later in life, I would have not put that two together unless I was clearly told. Um, yeah, no, so that, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about it off mic uh, later. Uh, Guy Stockwell, he passed away a few years later while... 2002, February 6th, 2002. 2002, while Dean Stockwell and Scott Bakula were filming uh, an episode of Enterprise, which Dean Stockwell guest starred, which was actually the first time that they worked together after Quantum Leap ended, like yeah. some years later. Yeah, I mean, it, it had been about eight, eight nine years since mm-hmm. they worked together. Um, yeah, and see, this scene, uh, it, it starts the, the issue that I had with the episode at the very top of the show, and that's that... We're getting so much thrown at us. And I can keep track of it all. It's not a case of me being like incapable of keeping track of all these subplots and characters that they're adding in. But, you know, it's, it's just... It's not yet too much, but it's getting there. Because now we have his, you know, this crooked mob boss with his henchman throwing Sam in the car, you know, congratulating him on his fight, joking around with him. Sam's starting to get the picture dawning on him that, oh, the fights have been thrown, all that, you know, and, and, and Sam being like, oh, you know, maybe I just won't fight and being mm. threatened. And, you know, Sam has the moment where he um, quotes uh, on the waterfront that could have been a contender. Oh, he does the yes. Marlon Brando impersonation. Mm. It's actually a halfway decent Brando. It know, is, yeah. And that, that highlights how more comedic Scott Bakula played Sam in the in the early episodes. Yeah. Like doing those kind of doing those kind of little bits. Oh, in this there. episode I think that that early comedic strain is in full effect, and we're gonna get to another moment that I'm like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You can't see this at home, but smoke is nearly coming out of Sam's ears over I just, there. Yeah, I, I wish so, yeah, so in this scene we find out <laughs> yeah, that kid Cody is definitely on the take. And um, he is going to lose the title match. Yes. And Mr. Edwards stands to make a lot of money on it. And it's also a nice moment where we turn on the radio and we know that there was an upcoming fight between Muhammad Ali and, and George Foreman. And George Foreman. Yeah. And it's interesting, like the, the respect that Mr. Edwards that Mr. Edwards has for real boxing, the real sport, like that's the real thing. Two men fighting it out. You? You're gonna take a dive. In the first. Yeah, yeah. This is a. This is not. This is This isn't the rumble in the jungle. Yeah, that yeah. weird twisted sense of of honor uh, and and dignity. Like, yeah, those are real fighters. You, you're a chump, and you're gonna take a dive in the first round. Yeah. Uh, so then we go upstairs and we meet Dixie. Oh, Dixie, Terry Copley, mm-hmm. Copley, Copley, Copley. Mm-hmm. Do we know? I don't know. I'm Flip sorry. I'm sorry, Terry. Um... Yeah, we meet Dixie, and Dixie is a voluptuous Marilyn Monroe look-alike Very and sound-alike, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I, or rather the character that Marilyn Monroe often portrayed. One could certainly argue that that wasn't who she was in a day-to-day, sure. but anyway, uh, which I just had another thought, which would spoil things for later in the show, but mm-hmm. so I'm not going to say it. Um, and yeah, Dixie is... The thing about it, it, it I, I feel like she's played in a way that he, he, I, she doesn't feel as over the top as Jamie Lee, for instance, in the mm-hmm. last episode. There's something grounded about her. There's something kind of naive about her and sweet about her. While at the same time, she's she's seen some stuff, you know. She's mm-hmm. She's been around that block. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like her. I really mm-hmm. do. 
but all of a sudden we're introduced to this donut shop idea. You're going to make the money to buy us the donut shop and we're going to do the, I'm going to make the, the dream. Yeah, yeah. The dream for the future and the little money that, that Cody's won is going to go towards that. And then we're introduced to, I uh, can't remember the character's yeah, name. Yeah. No. Um, uh, uh, Roscoe. Roscoe. That's his name. Roscoe, yeah. So Roscoe shows up and apparently Kid Cody had made some side bet on, on, on horse racing, um, somewhere else and he lost three C notes three hundred dollars yeah so he owes the money one, to this local bookie on that one. but I, I love there's the great uh, the comedic moment in there where she opens the doors like you know if you get between me and jelly and glow uh, jelly and glaze filled ever again or glazed and jelly filled ever again that's it yeah uh, glazed and jelly filled ever again uh, I'm gonna break your nose throw some money on the ground slams the door in his face and then we hear ah you broke my nose yeah, which is a great little comedic moment. That right, like is it, you don't get a lot in a lot of the the later episodes. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm fine with it. Um, that, but then, <laughs> then there's this moment where like the Amazing Grace moment for sure. So Sam throws out the idea that he has to go move in with the nuns to help save money, which is another plot point that doesn't, doesn't make really sense. Explained very yeah. well, but. But yeah, she's like, you'd rather go live with nuns than with me. And she takes off her clothes. And 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 yes, yeah, I can't remember the line, but she's like, but I thought, I thought that you belong to me, and I belong to you. And she takes off her robe, and Sam is face to face with. That's almost with, exactly what she says. With, yeah. with amazing grace. Yes. And that transitions us into the into the next scene. And he's laying back, and he's and he's singing some of Amazing Grace at one point, and it's actually the first the, time yeah, we it, get yeah, it's a Sam tra- singing. Singing, yeah. yeah. So it's this transition of, of, of him moving in and finding his bed. In, right, uh, and he leans back. And the, in the church with, with the boxing uh, ring and supplies already set up, and he lays back and he's singing, which is interrupted by Al's snoring. Yes, yes, because Al apparently has gone into the imaging chamber and just fallen asleep, and now is snoring, and, you know, Sam notices him. Mm-hmm. Oh, whatever. T- tell me some more how you feel about this plot line. I just, I, <laughs> it really does bother me, mm-hmm. and, and because it doesn't, here's the thing, I don't think it works comedically, mm-hmm. I don't think it works from any sort of, and look, I'm not saying that everything in this show needs to make sense, it's a mm-hmm. guy traveling through time, leaping in and out of people's bodies, keeping his own physical presence, etc., etc., etc. Fine, I get that. At the same time, why on earth is he in the imaging chamber? Passed out of sleep. Passed out of sleep. And how did he... Because was he there the whole time? And if he's there the whole time, is he just following Sam around? Was he peeping on Sam while he and Dixie were mm-hmm. getting down to business and then and, and he's just falling asleep? Mm-hmm. And if he's falling asleep, does that mean that like he basically is following Sam laying on the ground this whole time and Sam just doesn't notice him? And now, and now, you know, Sam does notice him because he snores. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it renders Al so ineffectual. Mm-hmm. I feel like this comes from, uh, we are both big fans of Star Trek, and I feel like even going as far back as the original series, like the writer, like they sat down and they figured out like how the science of everything works. Yeah, having into episodes where I really feel like with the writers of Quantum Leap, they were just kind of making up the rules of, of how everything worked, like how the imaging chamber and yeah, like that. they were just making up the rules as they went along, and in the moment, um, I'm not saying that it's the best comedy gag in the world. But this is just a a nice cheap little subplot for Al in this episode. It provides some you know for some yeah. comedy. When, as, as as Sam leans over and Al is waking up, 
he ma- he makes it like Denise. Denise, yeah. get in the closet. Oh, Tina. So yeah, uh, we get the thing of of that, that Alice, Alice, Alice still cheating. with Tina, but he's cheating on her with Denise. With, with, with Denise, yeah. who's a writer and is going to write his life. Right, going to write his life story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that the. Because in the last episode, Al's subplot, if you will, played in so well to the overall plot of that particular episode, and Mm -hmm. and also specifically into the relationship with Sam, it just does not work for me in this one. There are other times where it is clear that there are things happening to Al off screen, and it really works, and this is just not one of them for me. It seems, it just, it just seems silly and dumb. It just doesn't, it just, I don't like it, and and, and I don't... I don't understand why they looked at this, and I, I can't understand unless, again, they just looked at it and like, ah, oh, yeah, it'll be a silly gag, let's go with it. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing, you know, and to me, you know, here we are, 28 years on, it just doesn't hold up mm-hmm. for me. I hear you. Yeah. That said... So uh, <clears throat> so we get introduced to this idea that Sam is going to have to, to train to, fight, to win yeah. this match in three days. And so Al says that he can help because, like you said, we find out that he grew up in an orphanage, and then at 16 he was... A Golden Gloves. A Golden Gloves. Box, a, yeah. a boxer. And so they have this uh, bit of routine where, you know, Al throws off his jacket. I'm like, come on, I'll show you here. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it doesn't work because obviously he's a hologram, and Sam's like... I, you know, I, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And Which to me, like, I, I don't buy that. Like, like, what's wrong with having a hologram to, to, well, to box with? Yeah. I mean, at least to do, like, some like some sparring exercises. Like, you got to do some other stuff. And in, I our, feel 20, like, in our 2017 mm-hmm. timeline here with something like the Wii, for instance, it's like, mm-hmm. nah, yeah, somebody could totally train with a hologram. Yeah. <laughs> There's even a thing now, I saw this the other day, and this is kind of a tangent, where they have these, um, I'm not sure what you call them, like, like, they're like boxing machines, like, set up with gyms or you stand up for like anywhere like conceivable like uh, like a routine like up here like by the face or an uppercut mm-hmm. or off to the side or whatever like they have like all these pads set up oh, yeah. and, the, and the screen on the machine sure. will like give you like the routine to follow okay punch here punch here yeah. punch here um, yeah I'd love to try that out sometime yeah but, I know right um, and it's great cardio um, so yeah, and one of the things that comes out of this, though, is really honest, it genuinely is one of my favorite Al scenes, and, it, and unfortunately it gets so undercut by the rest of the bullshit that they have Al do in this episode. I mean that. And that's that Sam is just like, you can't help me, leaves and he turns out the lights, and Al is left there alone. In the dark, and, yeah. And it's, and just, it's a great moment. Yeah. Like, at this point, you don't, you don't know enough about Al to like really know what the subtext is of this, but he just has this moment like, I was good too. Yeah, and we're the boxing, and he just kind of looks after Sam, like in the sad way. And it's not justified. I haven't watched this episode in reruns in quite a long time. I am sure that in syndication they cut the scene off. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, yeah. But it's it, it's just this great little. Dean Stockwell moment where yeah. he just kind of looks after Sam sadly after it, having the lights turned off. On it, it's very loaded, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, as an acting moment, there's there's a lot of work there, and I think mm-hmm. that it's one this idea that like he has this skill and he can't share it, and and he's being dismissed, and it's like, no, hey, I used to be good at this. Mm-hmm. There's also that idea that he can't help his best friend, and his best friend really needs his help, and you know, and I think that it reinforces this uh, loneliness that Al has to feel that because his best friend is is, is not around, and mm-hmm. uh, and. And and he's filling his nights with Tina's and Denise's and you know etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I really like that moment. Um, next though we we go on. He the, goes off to get an actual trainer. He goes back to find Gomez. Gomez. Yeah, yeah, in the bar. 
Uh, two things about this. One, I think Alex Colon continues to, to play the role really well. Two, there's a Kid Cody poster in the background that I thought was kind of cool. Ooh, I hadn't noticed that before. Yeah. And there's a nice little comedy moment. They make his TKO drink, which I'm not... Yeah. I'm not sure just... what that is. Yeah. It's smoking. I, re- I remember watching that scene as a kid. Uh, and I grew up like a, a very conservative, very religious thing, like alcohol is bad, mm. whatever. And so just like watching that scene as a kid, like, oh God, I wouldn't want to drink that. Yeah. Rewatching it this time, I was like, I'd be interested in trying that. Yeah. What's going on with that? It might be, you know, the, the three dots in the dash uh, in, in the loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, North, North actually, North Shore rather, might have a drink like that. Yeah. Jessica with her tiki bar there, you know. If you're ever in Chicago, check them out. Great drink. For sure. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so he goes back to Gomez and makes the army like, I want you to train you for this fight. Yeah. And Gomez says, like, I'm tired of training boxers who take dives. Yeah. And and we get the and we get the information here that Gomez at one time was also a boxer. Because Mr. Redward shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 also took some dives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so. Mr. Redward shows up and, and he basically kind of rubs Gomez's face. Right. In the proverbial poop. Yep. It's like this guy, he should get an Oscar. He could he take was, a, yeah. he could take a dive better than anyone. You know, so on and so forth. And then we see another thing on TV about the upcoming Muhammad Ali yep. Foreman fight. We also get a thing on the news about... Watergate. Uh, Watergate, which yeah. is a nice tie-in. And someone on the news uh, has been streaking. Oh, yeah, because they, they make some thing, That's right. They make some uh, thing about that. So this makes three episodes in a row where streaking is referenced. Yep. It's referenced in the pilot, as Sam having done in college. Um... It's not, no, I mean, it's not I don't think it gets no, it does, no, it does get mentioned yeah. to Cross, but we come back to streaking yeah. yet again, which is a very big thing in the 70s, where right. Stevens had an entire song okay. around it. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you know, it, it's great because the television continues to be, <clears throat> and you know, one could even make some sort of meta argument about this, I'm sure, because we're watching a TV show, but the television show, the television tends to be a way that we're getting information about when and where we are uh, and, and giving us that context. Um, in this instance, not only does it do that, but it also sets up a specific, two specific plot points. Mm-hmm. Actually. Yeah. Um, so, so now, you know, uh, Gomez, is, is, you know, ends up getting convinced after... Because, wait, hang on. Where are we in the episode? Yeah, Remind because... Remind me, you're because better at this than It was the fact that Mr. Edwards rubs his face in the dirt about taking dives. That's the, like, the Marty McFly chicken moment. Yes. That makes Gomez turn to Cody and say, are you serious? Yeah. You're a trainer? You've got a trainer. I train you, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we, we, we start the, the training... Um, training montage. Well, we don't get to the montage just yet because first he has him oh, spar right. with the father. The father, yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's a nice little moment. And this was a, a, a weird production thing that I've, I've never noticed before where Sam asked Gomez for any advice and Gomez says, try not to trip over his beard. Yeah. Implying that the father has a beard. The father's clean shaven. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. And that was just like well, 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 clearly the 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 father was originally written to have a beard, and and the yeah. actor they cast didn't, and they just never Ooh. bothered to change that line. The actor is Louis Arquette, and if that last name sounds familiar, it's because he is indeed the father of Patricia, Alexis, Rosanna, David, and Richmond Arquette, and indeed the father-in-law for a time of, of Courtney Cox. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a famous famous family there. He. Um, it's interesting because going back to that metaphor between God and Sam, mm-hmm. they, they get in the ring 
and obviously there's this don't hurt the father you know where sister Angela is saying no no he's just pleased as punch to be in the ring with you it'll be fun for him he'll be thrilled to tell everybody that he was in the ring Mm -hmm. and of course what proceeds to happen is Sam gets trounced by the father has no boxing ability whatsoever absolutely what I love about this short fight that happens is that the actor who plays sister Angela she just has, has these great like physical comedy moments where she's like like ringside like throwing punches and just how awkward she looks yeah, yeah. throwing those punches going back to the first scene where she has the line like that last punch in the last inning oh yeah last inning it was, inning. Ins- it was, inning, it was yeah. inspired yeah um when then now, sister angela is not written as as the deepest character but i think that actor she she does a lot with the I, role that she's given i agree and and actually before we get to what i was going to say uh now we get your training montage Totally rocky, right down to the theme music. He's going all out. He's training, he's training, he's training. Two things about this. We're supposed to believe he does all of this within the span of about four or five days. Actually, three days. Okay, yeah, so even less. Mm -hmm. Uh, Take that for what you will. But he's clearly getting better. He's sweating a lot. He's doing the jump rope. He's he's boxing. He learns how to do the speed bag when at first he just kind of stares Mm -hmm. at it, doesn't understand it at all. But also from from a production standpoint... Uh, I mean, just think about it in terms of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Scott Bakula was told about this episode, like maybe one or two episodes yes. before. And like even reading the thing, like he trained to box he did. during his lunch, lunch hours, yeah. filming other episodes. Yeah. they. Yeah. In fact, he was quoted as saying they'd bring a guy who trained heavyweight fighters and he'd put me through the heavyweight fight. Uh, and yeah. And so he, he, he'd put him through the drills. He'd be jumping rope working on the heavy bag, working the speed bag, doing the sparring, sure. and the whole nine yards. So, yeah, I mean, it, it paid off because he does, he, he ends up looking great. Now, I mean, they focus mostly on the upper body stuff, so it would be interesting to see the footwork because, mm-hmm. you know, anybody that knows anything about boxing knows that that's really where where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he does, he gets a little bit of that, obviously, later on when we get to the actual fight. The next scene that comes out of the training montage, though, is a nice scene between uh, Sister Angela and Sam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this brings me to two things. One, I agree with you. I, I like what... Sister Angela, I like who she is, you know, I like mm-hmm. what the actor does. Uh, I really liked this scene. She has a monologue here that mm-hmm. kind of explains why Sister Angela is the way she is, where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. My better half, uh, Jessica, did not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was just occurred to me, like we talked about previous episodes, like you transcribed part of one episode for your high school thing, and I transcribed part yeah. of one episode for another thing. Somewhere out there, there is a, there is a female fan right. of Quantum Leap that took this monologue yeah. from this episode... Absolutely. And she presented it in some high school or college monologue class. If you're out there listening, write into us. <laughs> Please do, yes. Find us at Fates Wide Wheel on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah. it's interesting because I really like, the, I, I will admit that it gets a little bit melodramatic at the end. You know, she starts to milk it a little bit, sure. But for the most part, she plays it very straight and I really enjoy the early part of it. So, uh, yeah, her monologue is, is fairly interesting uh, to me in that not only does it give us some exposition, but I think it also, uh, you know, is, is, is just a, a great emotional moment um, for, for who this person is. And, and uh, I think Sam is clearly touched by what she has to say. And what she has to say mm-hmm. is that um, her family died in a fire when she was a young girl and she was taken in by the nuns, lived in an orphanage, grew up in the orphanage. Um, but she was, you know, very poor and, uh, that now, um, 
she's she's vowed to build this chapel uh, as a shrine to not only commemorate her family but so that other destitute people can look towards it for, yeah. for inspiration and, yeah. and faith but also she feels that god spared her specifically for some reason yes which plays into more to what you're saying like this this episode really leans heavy into into the god thing yeah it does and i think that you know one other thing that i want to mention and it's 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 a fine line because obviously cody has dixie uh, and Sam, you know, has, has already had his moment with Dixie, if you will, um, to the point that there was actually a line apparently in the original script that had Sam singing the first few lines of the song Dixie, um, which if people don't know them is, you know, I wish I was in Dixie. Uh, Somewhere, they, they made a smart choice. Yeah. 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 Somebody was smart about that one. Um, but he, <laughs> so he, um, so he clearly has this relationship established with Dixie. That said, I feel like there is definitely a danger because of the nature of the relationship between Sam and Sister Angela, that in spite of the fact that she's a nun, that we're going to get one of those stories of like, you know, the nun falls for the guy and sure. decides to ditch the habit. You, 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 and, you know what you know. I realized? There is not a single scene in this episode where Al and Dixie are together. Oh, wow. And... Dixie is Al's it, type. Dixie is perfectly Al's type. Yeah. Again, this speaks to at this point they didn't really know what to do with Al yet. Well, especially and on wonder, this episode. Because in, in an alternate writing of this episode, there is a scene where Al is singing "I Wish I Wasn't Dixie." Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and especially like if Al had been there when she takes her dress off. Yeah, yeah. What the the one liners that would have come out of Al, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. Um, but so we get this touching monologue, <laughs> and uh, Sister Angela. Uh, yeah, with Sister Angela, and uh, there's a nice moment between the two of them. I think that it, Sam becomes even more committed to you know to winning this fight and getting them the money. Um, and uh, now you know we're back with Al telling Sam in the next scene that so we're back in the gym. Yeah, and, we're, and, and at the end of this montage, like we found that that Sam is much better at everything. Everything he was failing at at the beginning of the montage. He's doing. He's doing great. At he's you know, jump rope, uh, bag work. He's a savant. He's a real Renaissance man. Yes. Um, and one thing that I you know that I found interesting is that Sam not knowing how to fight, and with what we learn about Sam later on, mm. is that uh, I don't know if that holds true for the the Sam that we learn about later mm-hmm. in the series. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to hear that he doesn't, yeah, that he doesn't know how to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so now they're back in the gym. Al tells him that Cody took the dive originally. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, to go back, to go back to your favorite storyline in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, almost as an aside, Sam throws a suggestion to Al how to deal with the loud neighbor by recording him working on his car and then playing it back at night. Sure. Sure. Why it, not? <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, it just, the thing is, is at this point, I think I I, can, I picture even in that moment of filming Scott Bakula going, what the hell is this? Yeah. I, I think at this moment, the thing too, is that we get, we now we have, so we have the nuns, we have Cody and we have Gomez and we have Roscoe and we have Dixie and we have, uh, the, the gangster, you know, Mr. Edwards. We've got all of these Roscoe, yeah. characters that have names and lines. And not only that. But they've got some sort of... 
And any other time, this would be a good thing. If you're writing a play, this is what you want. But they've Sam got all is these... writing an angry letter to NBC as we speak <laughs> right now, as we're recording this. But it's just there's too there's just too much going on. There's mm. too much going on, in my opinion, for a 47 minute teleplay to to resolve in a satisfactory way. Not that it doesn't get resolved satisfactory. Spoiler alert. But that I can't feel too invested in any one storyline. Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to care about the church? Am I supposed to care about the donut shop? Am I supposed to care about Sam getting his kneecaps busted? Am I supposed to care about Gomez uh, training Sam for the fight so that he wins, so that Gomez doesn't have to be ashamed of his past anymore? Am I, what, am I supposed to care about Al and his neighbor? What am I supposed to care about in this episode? And I know, I know that I'm supposed to care about Sam getting the job done and leaping out. Mm. I just don't necessarily know what that means specifically for this episode. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like they do either. Because I don't know if Sam's supposed to win the fight or lose the fight. I don't well, know if it's it, you a, know. In this scene, we find out. I, if this is, uh, I think this is one of the first times where we see Al pull out the hand link and like really consult it for, for a good period of time to see like what happened in the original history. Yeah. But we find out, like, kid Cody through the fight, Sister Angela never got her chapel, and the, and the place where that chapel would have been built... Uh, was home to some disreputable businesses, a convenience mm-hmm. store that had been robbed five times already in Al's present day. Yeah, and there is that one scene that's really nice too where Sister Angela is showing Sam the outline of where everything is going to be. Sure. You know, this is going to be this and this is going to be over here. So, I mean, there's definitely some emotional investment in that storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just seems to get cast aside in favor of all these other things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... Not to rewrite the episode, but I could see the episode being more successful if you pared things down. It, you know, even if we got rid of Dixie, and I like Dixie. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Dixie in this episode, and I like what she brings to it. I just don't feel like I like it enough to say that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Or on the flip side of that, get rid of the nuns and have the story be about Sam trying to win enough money for he and his sweetheart to build a donut shop. You know, I mean, it, it just it just to mm-hmm. me, to me, there's just too much, too much going on. I. Uh... It's going to sound like a tangent, but I'll bring it back around. I watched the premiere episode of The Orville last week, mm-hmm. Seth mm-hmm. MacFarlane's new Star Trek series, mm-hmm. and I posted a thing on and about it. I'm going to keep watching it, and the thing I posted is that it seems like Seth MacFarlane wanted to play Star Trek, Fox wanted your typical Seth MacFarlane show, yeah. and they met somewhere in the middle, and the middle just doesn't, doesn't quite hold together. work. Yeah. And uh, one of my friends commented that uh, supposedly, like, really around about the fourth episode, they figure out what that mix is. And someone else commented further that um, another writer TV personality uh, has made the argument that in the ideal world, uh, the producers of any television series should be able to go back and just burn to the ground the first ten episodes of any series <laughs> and, and do them over. Sure, I, I totally get that, especially, you know, being a Star Trek fan, like you're saying, you look at, the, you know, any of the series with the possible exception of Enterprise, which ends up being universally derided, but the first episode does pretty well, actually. You know, I'm, I'm going to argue that a hundred years from now, Enterprise is going to be considered one of the best episodes, one of the best series of Star Trek. Maybe time is going to prove me right. There are some bad episodes. There are some. Bad I will. Episodes, I will say this, and I know right. I'm not going to make a lot of friends on this one, probably. But I will say that the worst episodes of Enterprise are still better than the worst episodes of Voyager. The worst episodes of Voyager are some of the worst 
pieces of television I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, they're just bad. And this is the first hate mail that Face Wild Neil ever got. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a Niner. I, DS9 mm. is the best iteration of Star Trek, in my opinion. I still have, so, yeah, you know. I still have that ahead of me. I have not watched yeah. that one yet. But, but, but anyway, anyway, back so, to Quantum Leap. So, so, there's, so there's, a lot, there's a lot of going on yeah, in this particular episode. This yeah. Moment. But by the end of this scene, we, Sam have, is, we, we have this moment where, where Sam goes, hey, you're telling me everything that happened in the original history. I'm here. What happens if I win? Yeah. Which other moment I was like, oh, yeah, you're going to win? You're not going to win? Keep your left up. Keep your left right. up. Right. nice little... And it does. It kind of it, it plays into that last scene where Sam gets left in the dark, or Al, rather, gets left in the dark, and now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, he's able to kind of... He's coaching Sam. In spite of not being able to have been his coach during the training montage, he's kind of giving him mm-hmm. some tips. And, you know, and at the same time, it's sort of like, you're not going to win this fight. Like, come yeah, on, you sure, know. Yeah. But to go back to, to the Al's outfits... Oh yeah. Where as ugly as his gold jacket was in the beginning of the scene, his outfit in the scene is on point. It's like the it's like the white suit. Yeah, the all white suit. Yeah. 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 With the red and orange tie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well and then we, so yeah, Sam at this point is more resolved than ever to win the fight because he doesn't want to leave sister Angela hanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course Mr. Edwards comes in and tells him he's gonna take a dive in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that. that. That's happened, yeah. So now the the next scene is we are at the church where Sam has gone to find Sister Angela. And we've come to find out that in the in the space between Mr. Edwards has shown up, has given the money to yes. Sister Angela. So, and the thing is, re-watching this scene, um, uh, we we skipped over a previous scene. There was a, there was a second scene in the bar with Gomez and, and Kid Cody as Sam where Mr. Edwards shows up. And he's like, oh, like, I hear you're really training for real. Like, there's nothing worse than the rum-dum who gets religion. Yes. So, Mr. Edwards knows that, that one, Cody is training seriously, and two, like, he's established some kind of relationship or rapport with with Sister Angela. And that's the scene where he comes in and says, you're going to take the dive in the first round. But he says it twice. That's the thing. Because he says it it at one point, and Sam tells him he'll decide when he's going to take the dive. Mm Mm-hmm. and I think that this is interesting because there is a running theme, and, and we're approaching this particular plot point, that I think Sam is starting to try to come up with a plan B. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I don't win the fight? Yes. And, it's, and, so, and, and so that plan B, I feel like, is starting to sprout where Sam is just sort of like, I decide what happens. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's his way of, of letting on that he's going to win the fight, but it's maybe Sam's way of hedging his bets and being like, I can't fall in round one. Maybe I fall later. I don't know. I could be way off base there. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not this at all. But I just think that, that there is a plan B. And Sam has started to work on Absolutely. plan B. So, yeah, I skipped ahead. So we have the scene where we know that Sister Angela knows that he's supposed to take a dive. Yes. We have this heartfelt moment, this scene, where, where, where Sam says, please don't give up on me. Yeah. Believe in me. I'm not the kid Cody who did this. Early in the series, we have a lot of moments where in some way Sam tries to say, I'm not who you think I am. Yeah. I'm not the kid Cody who did this. I'm not a whatever. And there's another episode coming well, up where he where he does where he does the same thing. And even even in the pilot episode when you know he does it more to Al. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean it, the stuff he does with Peg is a little bit different. But when he's you know Tim Fox when he's a baseball player, he's just like I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not a strikeout. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not him. Um, so we have this moment where he convinces uh, Sister Angela and not give up on him. Then we have the scene in the bar where uh, Sam tries to tell Mr. Edwards like. Hey, how about I tell you what to bet on? Yeah. Don't bet on me. He doesn't say what to bet on. They save that reveal until later, but he says, don't bet on me. I'm going to tell you what to bet on. Yeah. And then we cut to a scene with him and Dixie where 
Sam knows that uh, they, can, they can get 20 to 1 betting the round, which is something that he had learned earlier from, from Mr. Edwards. Yeah, and here's one of the things. This is, this is, this is, might be the worst Sam line in season one, hands down. Because he's, what you're telling, about. he's telling her to streak because of the plot point that we learned about earlier on the TV show with, uh, mm-hmm. or the, the t- television where they talk about the streaker on the news. So he's like, you know, be the streaker, distract, etc. This is the you only know, way I can win the fight. Right. The only way I can win the fight is if you do this. And she's not feeling good about that. Now, one thing that we should mention that we failed to earlier is that Dixie is indeed a topless dancer. That's what she does for a living. Mm-hmm. And Sam has a line because Dixie says, uh, you know, something to the effect of like, I'm just a tramp, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Sam's line is, you're not a tramp. You're a stripper. That's a profession. And it just, I can't wrap my head around Dr. Sam Beckett saying that to a woman. Again, early on in the series, yes. they, they don't know who Sam is. I, I think, I don't think there's anything necessarily misogynistic 